Welcome to On the Way with Tony Chris. Each weekday, Dr. Chris will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Chris. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is podcast number 76. Today, we're going to pick right up where we left off in our last podcast dealing with the temple. And uh, we left with the destruction of the first temple in 586, the third phase of the Babylonian captivity. And after a period of years in exile, God raised up a man that he had prophesied through the prophet Isaiah over a hundred years before, and his name was Cyrus. He was a Persian and not an Arab. Many people think the Iranians, Persia was Iran until after World War One, and they changed their name to Iran. But the Persians are not Arabs. They're a totally different ethnic group and people group. But the Persians had their own customs. They had their own land. They were a very proud and prominent people in the ancient world. Very smart, intelligent, good in every aspect of the word as far as their brain power and intelligence. Just a lovely people. And I've known many Persians down through the years, and they are such a wonderful people group, and I'm so glad that God used Cyrus to bring the people back to the place where they could build the second temple. In 539 BC, the Babylonian Empire ended. It was captured by Cyrus the Persian, and after a search was made uh, of the records of the Babylonians, it was found that the Jewish people were a great people who had served under King David and his son Solomon. And all of that were in the great annals and records of Babylon. And so Cyrus inquired, found out uh, that indeed Nebuchadnezzar had robbed the temple treasuries and had taken all of the artifacts and pieces of furniture. And so immediately he assembled his advisors together and the outcome of that was he made a decree in 538 B.C., just a year after taking over Babylon, a decree that said the Jews were to go back home to Israel. They were to go back to uh, the land that, where they came from, as many as desired to do so. They were to rebuild the temple, uh, replenish the land, start planting and harvesting again. And when they built that temple, they would remember him and pray for him uh, for his prosperity. Not only did Cyrus free the Jews to go back, but also he gave materials and all of the money that it would take and the materials to build the temple. And he also sent back many of the artifacts and pieces of furniture uh, that had uh, been taken by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, 
It's an amazing thing that he did this under the great hand of God as a heathen king. But he was used by God in a great way, just like many lost people have been used down through the years. Uh, Over my four decades plus of ministry, I have heard many church members and even many pastors who ought to know better say, well, uh, God uh, doesn't use lost people. He's got to have clean vessels. Well, if he always had to have clean vessels to do something, not very much in the kingdom of God would get done because there's not a time when all of us are clean all the time. And so God uses what he has. And many times he's used uh, the heathen and he's used lost people to do the bidding of God, because after all, he is sovereign and uh, he moves uh, hard and of kings like a river bends and turns. So God directs kings and potentates. He raises one up and puts another down. And so Cyrus was even called his anointed one. That's the word for Messiah. And so God used him as a deliverer to bring salvation to his people, not redemption in the sense of the forgiveness of sins, of course not, but to get them out of the uh, exile so that they could go back and build this great temple and the central place of worship that had now uh, been destroyed earlier by the Babylonians. Now, it's interesting, during this period when they had no central place of worship, the Jews wanted to gather together together and keep the feast together and to keep the traditions alive that God had given them and the rituals, even though they could not make sacrifices and those things that would have been done at the temple. And so they started meeting together in different places and to assemble themselves together. And that was called Knesset. Knesset is the assembly house of the parliamentary government of the modern state of Israel. Well, the word Knesset it means assembly. And when you put the word bait with it, which is the word for house, Beth, as we would call it, B-E-T-H, Beth Knesset or Beit Knesset, as it's pronounced in modern Hebrew, means the house of assembly. And so when they were in their communities all over Babylon and Mesopotamia and scattered throughout the earth, they would meet together, just a few here, a few there. And everywhere there was a Jewish community, there was all always a Beit Knesset. Now, when Alexander the Great came on the scene and he spread the Greek language throughout the known world at that time, instead of calling them Beit Knesset, Alexander's Greek counterparts would call them Sun Agogos. Sun is the word uh, together. Agogos is I go or we go. And so together we go, together we assemble. And so it became known as a synagogos or a synagogue as we anglicize it or make it English and transliterate it into English. And so even after the temple was rebuilt, the synagogue system was already in place. And of course, that made way in the fullness of time for the Apostle Paul and others to go and have an open door anywhere that they would go to preach the gospel of Christ. And we'll talk about that more later. But back to this uh, decree. In 538, the decree was made for the people to go back and to resettle the land of Israel. 
Israel, and they would, of course, be paying tribute and taxes to the Persians, and that they did. But Cyrus paid for all of this, and as you know, this is a wonderful time in the history of the Jewish people as they made their way back. It took three years for 50,000 people to go back and inhabit the land. Now, you might say with all of the tens of thousands that were taken captivity, why did only 50 go? Why did only 50,000 go back? Well, you think about it. After you've lived in a place and you've raised your children, remember, the first phase of the captivity was in 605 B.C. And so you've raised your children there. You have your own routines. You have your own plot of land. You're in a routine of just think about yourself with dentists and doctors and everything that you do. It's uh, difficult to move, and the people were comfortable, and they were blessed because Jeremiah, the prophet, had told them to settle in the land and pray for the city where they were living and to get involved and to assimilate while they were there, not assimilate into the pagan culture, but assimilate into the land and realize they're going to be there because God had said the captivity is going to be at least 70 years, and that was all mapped out. And so a lot can happen in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Just think of your own life. And so they were to uproot, and 50,000 did. They went back, and in 535 B.C., they had enough, and they had the materials together, and they laid the foundation of the temple. But then they stopped. They did not continue on. And in 520, 14 years later, God sent a fiery prophet by the name of Haggai. And Haggai says he began to prophesy in the second year of King Darius in the sixth month and the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, now listen, and you'll see just how much this prophecy makes sense now that you know the context that for 14 years after laying the foundation, the people quit building the house of God and started building their own world. They started building their own houses. They started embellishing their own houses and started spending their money. Instead of giving God the best part, they were not tithing. They were not giving. They were not investing in the Lord's work. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, the people says the time has not yet come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. You see, they were saying, it's not time yet. We've got to, we've got to get settled first. We've got to do this and we've got to do that. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, "Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses?" And this temple lie in ruins. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Now, listen to this. God sent inflation to them so that if they weren't going to give their money to God and they weren't going to give him what was due, the first part, the best part, and they were going to invest it in their own houses and their own boats. Well, maybe not boats. They were going to do it in, uh, they were going to invest in their own cars and golf. Well, maybe not that, but you know what I mean. And so now, therefore, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. There was no satisfaction. They couldn't get enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. 
Now, that is an amazing thing. That picture is given. That is probably the greatest definition of inflation that I've ever seen. He who earns wages earns wages to put it in a bag with holes. And so Haggai came on the scene and began to preach. And then Zechariah came immediately on his heels. He was a contemporary of his. And for two years, Zechariah, whose name means the Lord remembers, Zacharias means the Lord remembers. And God did remember, and the people remembered. And so after Haggai and Zechariah, great revival broke out. And within four years from the preaching of Haggai's first message, the temple was finished because the people went back to work. And in 516 B.C., the great temple that had been destroyed to the year 70 years earlier the second temple now not only had a foundation but it had a superstructure and a roof and they began to offer sacrifices unto the lord and the bible says that those that were there that remembered the beautiful temple that had been destroyed they wept when they saw just how unadorned this new temple was in comparison to solomon's And yet they were rejoicing, and the people who had not ever seen the temple and what it was, they were awestruck at how wonderful this was that they were now going to have a central worship place. And so the Bible says that the sound of weeping and the sound of rejoicing, uh, no one could tell the difference because there was both there. And aren't you glad that that second temple was built? Because that is the temple that the Lord Jesus walked in and taught in. And we'll talk about that more in the next podcast. On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.